This is holding down the fort. Girls and boys, today we are holding down the fort with Ben Williamson, Seattle Mariners position player. Ben, welcome to the show, baby. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. We are uh, we are very good out here. How are you doing? Give us a uh, a little rundown. We're out there in um in the fall league, correct? Give us a little bit about what's going on out there. Yeah, I'm just out here rehabbing right now. Um, basically, show up to the facility at 7 a.m do my rehab mobility work and then eat lunch and come back to the hotel for the rest of the day, try to kill some time. Well, that, that is awesome. Now, uh, training staff wise, right. Meal wise overall, um, since getting out there, how was, uh, how has everybody been treating you? Everybody, I'm sure it's, uh, even as good as college experience might've been a little bit of a step up, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, college, they took care of us, but here it's, it's different. Like, Everybody here wants to see you succeed. It's it's awesome. Yeah. So um we're we're good friends with with Coach McCray, with Mason, with uh with Coach Polly Panic. Um going dialing all the way back to maybe a, a beginning of the uh the Ben Williamson baseball era, if you will. Um give us a little bit about where you're from, how you grew up, uh your mom and dad, and how you really got into baseball and obviously taking it as serious as as we have along the way. Yeah, so I'm originally from Northern Virginia. I grew up in Gainesville and then moved to Loudoun County when I was like five or six and basically lived in Loudoun County from when I was five to my parents just moved out to Richmond in Virginia like two or three years ago. So now when I'm home in the off season, I, I go there. But yeah, I got into baseball when I was like, Probably when I first started walking, my dad bought me like this little wiffle ball bat and he would toss the wiffle ball to me in the front yard and I would hit it as hard as I could. I'd like to say I wasn't trying to hit him, but there were definitely a couple of times where I try to smoke him with the wiffle ball. Hey, um, listen, we're uh we're we're on to uh some of our college guys who are in the facility this morning and um we left our our session today with uh Hey, if you're trying to hit the ball right back to where it came from, um, you know, from the, the simplest, uh, easiest little drills all the way up to the highest speed you see, right. We have the highest rate of success. So what a way to start at three years old, hitting it right back at dad's dome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. But that's how I got started. Um, and then when I was old enough, I was begging my parents to sign me up for T-ball, get me into little league. And then I just kept progressing travel ball growing up. Um, and then I got into high school and it was between baseball and soccer. And I mean, it was from my perspective, it was an easy choice to go with baseball. Um, and then probably around like freshman year, I started looking at colleges and very early in high school, I was like thinking more of like D3 baseball, um, trying to get like a good ed go to a school where I could get a good education. Like I was, I was really good in the classroom. And then that's a, I, I mean, that's a, a huge part of it. Even, even that early on, right. Is like really yeah. knowing what you want to, you know, not exactly what you want to do academically, but almost what you're worth academically. Right. Right. And basically as I 
grew through high school. I was like five two freshman year, five four sophomore year. I think I was like five six or five eight my junior year, and then five nine. Like it's still super skinny my my senior year. <laughs> I really fully developed until I got to college. So, um, yeah, I mean, I looked at a bunch of D threes like all throughout high school, and then I started gaining weight and growing a little bit more, and my tools developed a little bit more. So it gave me the opportunity to look at places like William and Mary and basically since eighth grade I'd gone on a bunch of soccer tournaments in the Williamsburg area and fell in love with the campus so when they offered me I was like this is perfect yeah almost almost kind of a a no-brainer at that point you're saying you're looking for a bunch of a bunch of d3s now we always it's always interesting especially in our uh our day and age here where we're you know, are we specializing too soon? Are we playing 162 games at 11 or 12 years old? Like how does, you know, is, is the travel ball circuit just a absolute circus or is it like actually valuable playing soccer that long? Do you feel like there was value on, on both sides of the soccer ball? Um, you know, not, not only helping us ultimately decide baseball, but just from a, uh, an athletic standpoint, the, the, the games kind of cross over, right? Yeah, definitely. I think I was definitely in better shape when I played soccer. I could I could run very far, but I don't know <laughs> anymore. So yeah, it's uh you know good for obviously McCray and um, McCray and you guys are are on the up and up. But back in the day when I played, you would have been in a elite pitcher shape. We would put it if you just came from <laughs> from soccer practice, being able to run laps on laps, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So uh, take us a little bit more through the, uh, the intricacies of travel baseball. Who did we play for? How did we develop? Do we have any coaches, dads, anyone along the way that really kind of helped us shape our path? And ultimately, how did we end up uh, calling William and Mary our home? Yeah. So freshman year, I started working with this guy, Brennan Middleton, who played, I think, AAA with the Nats is what he got to. And he were I worked infield all throughout high school with him and he was definitely one of the biggest helps from the defensive side of it and I'd also work hitting with him and basically just learning with him was was really good for me he gave me a lot of valuable information about like fielding mechanics but also like the mental side of fielding how like your brain almost gets in the way of you being able to use your abilities so he definitely helped me with that because his mentality is basically like if the ball's hit to me, it's an out. And that's kind of like what I developed from the defensive side of the ball. Like that's my mentality. Like if the ball's hit to me, I'm going to make a play. Cause if you start thinking like, Oh, I hope I make a play. Then your brain's thinking you can't make a play. It's kind of just tricking your brain into being able to go back to what you practice in training. Um, so I thought that that was really interesting, but I grew up playing for the Virginia stars. I guess they're, they went, from DeMarini to Marucci to Virginia Stars back to Marucci, something something like that. <laughs> I don't all about, I all about the, the logo names. on the chest, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I grew up playing with them. Um, I was fortunate enough to have really good coaches all throughout that. Um, bunch of guys that played in the big leagues. Um, so those guys were always valuable sources of information for baseball. And also they had really good connections to put me in contact with schools like William and Mary. Um, but yeah, overall it was, it was really good. So, um, so there, I mean, obviously the program itself, right. 
it speaks a ton. We, you know, all the way up here, know a lot about them and just being around it for, for that long. But, you know, the, the personal training side of it, right. Really finding someone you trust was that was Middleton, a guy that we, we got to reconnect with after we were, you know, maybe our winter break at William and Mary while we were a freshman. Did we get to see him any, any of the time while we were home? I know a lot of guys as, you know, as comfortable as you get as a, at a college program and as, you know, as hard as you're working and all the things we like, you know, a, a judgment free zone almost sometimes to go to someone who doesn't control our playing time, someone who just has eyes for us to kind of say, Hey, am I doing everything right? I feel really good. I'm doing really good. But like, what's, you know, what's going on really? Did he help you behind the scenes as well as you went through that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I moved to Richmond sophomore year, so I haven't seen him since, but definitely freshman year during the summer, I worked with him a little bit. And were you, were you a COVID guy that freshman year? Was it, was yeah. it kind of still on the, on the COVID edge of things? Yeah. Yeah. So did you guys shut down completely or how did, how did we actually handle it? Did we end up in a summer league somewhere? Um, I would sneak on to like my, my high school field, like hop fences. And my, my so we're we're, we're allowed off. to tell these stories now. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'd get kicked. We, we got kicked off, I think at least once or twice, but <laughs> for the most part, we're fine. And then fortunately um, they had a college league that was set up towards the end of that summer. And we're able to play, I think, like 15, 20-ish games almost. So we got some live at-bats off of guys yeah. who were at our level and things like that. Where was that? Was that right in your area? Yeah, it was just a local one in Nova. Sweet, sweet. So, like, some of the guys from that area, as we were going through high school, coming out as a senior, as a commit, give me some of the – are there any other huge guys who were kind of uh, around our area or – in the state overall that we're going to big schools that were draft guys, anybody that you remember in particular? Um, I remember Nate Savino, Zach Agnos. Um, Trying to think. No, that's, that's two good spots to start. Are they, uh, are they both college guys still, or are they bo both in, in the uh, show by now? Um, they both, I'm pretty sure Savino got drafted. I, I'm like, I just played in Modesto against Zach. Like we played stars growing up together. So it was good to be able to see him again. That That is so cool. And was that, that was a, uh, a game against each other. Yeah. He was pitching for Fresno. That's awesome. Any ABs off him or did we not get in there? No, that was, that was after I got hit. So. So you said you've been, you've been rehabbing. What's uh what's going on? We got, we got hit by a pitch. Yeah, I got hit by a pitch on the hand and it fractured. So I've just been rehabbing that for the last little bit. That's cool. That's cool. So you said you're out there for the fall. Give me a little bit about, um, you know, the training staff, everybody, I, you know, organization by organization, I've been in a couple different ones. I know that it differs here, there and everywhere. Um, the Mariners seem to be, uh, one of the teams at the forefront for player development, for minor league treatment. Give me a little bit about, uh, how awesome we've probably been treated since we've been out there. Yeah. I mean, they take, they take really good care of us. Um, they pay for our housing, like two meals a day. Um, the food that they make at the facility is unreal. Um, like they serve us really good food. And then basically like the training staff is, is there for us. Um, like it, nobody in the training room is really like, Oh, I don't want to go talk to them and like 
have them think that I'm like faking an injury. They're, they're there to help you. Um, they're there to listen. They want you to be the best version of yourself on and off the field. So it's, it's really cool to have like that type of support. Yeah. And so we've, you know, we've talked to a lot of guys who are minor leaguers, um, different organizations. Again, like I know it varies level by level. It varies, but if we're at the complex, a lot of the time it's, Hey, the most resources are here. And like, everybody's kind of pouring in, into the guys that are here. Give me a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the technology, some of the weight room stuff, obviously the staff top to bottom is just elite and helping us out the best that they can. But like, what do we have at the, uh, at the facilities that you can share? Um, we have track man on, on a lot of the fields. Um, we have hit tracks in the cage. I'm not sure about like the pitching technology. I'm not familiar with that because I don't ever look. They're, they're just trying to, they're just trying to beat your ass, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we have a bunch of machines in the cages. Um, probably the coolest thing we have is we have this machine that basically it's like a projector and it projects a pitcher going into a windup and it has a little hole in it and it moves like based on the pitcher's arm slot and it can throw like a full pitch mix for strikes. So like you could put Shohei Otani up there, throw a fastball, sinker, cutter, sweeper, and then a splitter too, and it's it's just crazy. Yeah. So so going into a game against you know anybody that you could possibly face at the big league right. level, like it's just an ultimate preparation, right? Like right. I I remember um, somebody saying recently it was a video of I think you know one of the DHs just sitting in the cage after his last out and just he was inside the clubhouse just taking hacks off the first pitch slider that he ends up seeing in the next at bat. Totally. I think, I don't know if it's track HQ that you guys have or exactly what it's called, but um, you know, the machine that threw, you know, the exact specifications of the next pitcher who was coming out, who we saw the slider off of hits a 430 feet, you know, on, you know, yeah. the ultimate preparation that we're trying to have on the offensive side, like you said, pitchers don't really share the technology. We're just trying to, find ways to beat you guys. But at the same time, all that hitter technology is kind of set up to, to counteract that, right? You guys way ahead of the curve there at Seattle. Talk to me a little bit about uh, William and Mary and some of those tools that we had last year. I know Mason is just head and shoulders above so many people, even in the program. Um, just some of the, some of the cool things that he kind of offered to us as a, uh, whatever his position was. Yeah. I mean, we got track man, at William and Mary, my junior year, I think midway through the season, we got it put in. Um, that's a big tool, definitely. Like, you can go back, look at how pitchers pitched you, like what different pitchers are doing. So, like, if a pitcher's warming up, you'd look at the track man, or not look at the track man. Um, like, after the game, you'd look at the track man and see what he was doing. And then the next time you face him, you could see, like, his ball's moving 22 inches, like, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a shit ton. <laughs> that didn't, no, that re, no, and it really is, uh, right? Like, so you can get, and I had, I had Paulie on last week and he was talking about, you know, even pregame setup for you guys some of the time, like, Hey, we got a, we got a dual machine going, you know, in the, in the right. cage that nobody sees. That's like, Hey, set up for a lefty sinker right. guy who's 19 to 22 inches of, of arm side run. Right. That little, that little breaking ball that he likes to throw on the outer half. And you don't know which one's coming. Like, again, what a way to prepare and like college baseball, getting the momentum that it does. Like nobody sees behind the scenes, all the work that you guys yeah. are doing to put up, 
these friggin' offensive numbers that you're going out and putting up and your batted ball, you know, data kind of speaks for itself, but just talk to me a little bit about this last season, some of the preparation and how, you know, how we ultimately put ourselves in a spot where we went out there and just freaking mashed. Yeah. So after the last um, season, my junior year, um, I was kind of in a position where I needed to decide whether or not like professional, like I always wanted to play professional baseball, but like, I had last, last year was my juniors wasn't good enough for me to be able to do that. So it was kind of like a look in the mirror moment. Like if you really want this, you gotta, you gotta go freaking get it. Um, so I talked to McCray and panic at my um, exit meeting and they're basically like, yeah, to be more of a draft guy, like you've got a good glove. Um, you hit, you can put the ball in play. You don't strike out a lot. It's just your power numbers aren't very good. Um, so in the off season, I put on 20 pounds. Um, I like, I hopped on creatine, put on 20 pounds, was working out like eight or nine times a week, like doubling up on some days. Um, I really started doing a lot more mobility. I think I was doing like an hour of mobility every day before I worked out and basically just putting on 20 pounds, being mobile, um, did a lot more med ball throws. I think the med ball throws are very slept on as hitters because they directly translate to your swing. If you can throw an eight pound med ball with a scoop toss as hard as you can into a wall, it, it basically, if you can feel what that feels like to throw it as hard as you can into a wall and translate into your swing, then you can tap into power you really don't didn't know you had before. And that kind of just all came together at a really good time for me. And it just, it just took off. Yeah. So like we, you know, we exit that meeting and you're like, Hey, like going to attack the weights this summer, did we go play summer baseball or was it a, a step back from baseball and more just focus on the weight room? Yeah. I went and played summer ball in Vermont and I think I was there for like a month and a half and I sprained my ankle and the last two or three weeks of the season. So I, I went back to Williamsburg and basically just healed that. And as soon as I healed that, that's when I, I started, but I think after fall practices is when like late October, early November is when I really started getting after it um, in the weight room. Now, did we, we connect with a strength guy on campus? Did we connect with somebody old? How did we really like start taking that, uh, you know, that serious jump where obviously the creatine, but we also knew where we had to step it up. And like, you don't just make up your own mobility routine for an hour a day. Where did, where did all that kind of, kind of get stemmed from? Um, a lot of it was on my own, but it was a lot more like I went and researched it. Like I was like, hit my, I had type in hip mobility and then look at like different, not different studies, but like different like experts in the field, I guess. Um, and basically I just made a routine. So like my routine right now is I do, I start off like foam roll for five, 10 minutes. And then I move into ankle strengthening, ankle mobility. Then I stretch my calves, hammy squats. And then I do like a lot of hip mobility, um, hop on the psoas things, the yep. so right. Those things are awesome. Um, do like my lower back mobility, then move into my scaps, upper back traps, and then finish off with neck mobility and shoulder mobility. So every, every day we're hitting that, no matter what our strength stuff is, no matter what our yeah. workload is. That's basically what I do before I, before I do anything. 
So that's yeah, that's why we're there that early, right? You said you kind of get yeah. there as as things are opening up, and we're doing all that stuff before we even go into rehab when we're rehabbing an injury, correct? Yeah, the very first thing I do those I hop in an ice tub. I think that those are also like very very slept on. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Those, so, I mean, cold, cold water and like the studies that have been done on that are just, you know, so, so helpful to a body, especially an athletic body that is just getting yeah. beaten up day after day. I know that a lot of our soccer players, a lot of our volleyball players used to do it when we were in college. And like, I remember as I got more and more into the rehab side of things and I started doing ACLs, I started doing UCL stuff, you know moving through water, moving through cold water, especially was something that people really not only slept on, but really started to make a difference for our athletes. Is that something that we found on the pro side or were we in the, uh, the ice bath at William and Mary for a while? Um, I more so did the ice baths. Like it'd be like on Sundays. So like we'd have a three game series. I'd come back and hop in an ice bath for 10 minutes. And just basically like my lower body. But right now I'm like doing the full submersion where I'm like up to my neck, um, like every single morning. So that was more so of like recovery in college and I do it once a week. And now this is more so of like having a routine, establishing discipline. And like, I, I don't know, like all the effects off the top of my head right now, like imp it improves sleep if you do it for like five minutes a day. So I'm, I'm in there like every morning um, doing an ice bath, but more so on the professional side, like our mental skills coaches were like, you should hop in an ice bath like every day. Because yeah, tapping a lot of the time it's tapping into our breath and that kind of once right, again, yeah. you're doing those, those med ball scoop throws at eight pounds into the wall and it's translating into our swing ice bath breaths ultimately translate into the batter's box where we're really trying to get into compete mode where we're trying to flush out a bad swing maybe a bad call or whatever's kind of happened to us we can start breathing into certain areas of our body or certain areas of the field even where it's like hey we can externally kind of focus on something and just get into a zone where we can we can go compete better is that right yeah i think i started doing box breathing when i'm whenever i'm in there just so i can get control of my breath because like the first five seconds I'm like <laughs> like trying to catch my breath and then I start like doing like the cadence on the box breathing and then once I get my breath under control I could sit in there for as long not maybe not as long as I want because I hypothermia but definitely definitely can sit there for a while that's dude that's awesome and so um obviously pro ball numbers have been pretty good talk to us a little bit about the draft process how we went through that you know um over the summer and then ultimately just transitioning into pro ball pretty quickly right yeah so before the season started there's like a couple teams that came out in the fall to scout a couple guys at William and Mary um there's like a couple teams that liked me and kind of reached out to me I just get like a phone call from a like an area scout just asking like personal information and then the some of the, the questionnaires off. along the way right yeah, a lot of a lot of the questionnaires on the link. Um, and then as the season kind of took off, like halfway through the season, I realized that, oh, crap, like I'm having a really good year. Um, and I was getting a lot more surveys on the through the link, like a lot more paperwork on the link. Um, nobody really talked to me during the season. Um, There's a couple teams that would call me. But as soon as like we we're out of the tournament, like within that week, 
of our season ending, a lot of teams like were reaching out and calling me. I think they're just trying to wait until I wasn't busy, like with the season. Well, yeah, just, and it, a, a lot nice, of the time yeah. it's 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 performance time versus like, hey, are you thinking about the the right things, right? No one's trying to overload yeah. you on one side while you're trying to just hit on this side, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then after the season, I was doing Zoom calls with a couple teams, um, talking to a couple teams, and then mostly just through the portal, filling out a lot of paperwork, a lot of questionnaires. And then I went to Hyannis in the Cape, and originally, like, my coach was like, or McRae was like, we have a contract for you in the Cape, but I don't know if you want to go up there because it could hurt your draft status. Well, he was he basically gave me the option. He was like, if you go up there and do really well, it could really help you. If you go up there and you don't do really well, it could hurt you. Do you want to do this? And I was like, hell yeah, I want to do it. Like, Hey, I we've, we've had uh, three guys on the show who have gone up there. I got a chance to coach there. Me and my wife just visited um, for the first time. We lived there for the first time back in 2014 together in a apartment about yay big. Um, and it is, it is legitimately heaven on earth um, during the time that you guys are there and you guys are the yeah. star, the stars of the show while you were there. So um, great decision. If I didn't get to talk to you before you went, but I'm sure that uh, it's obviously worked out for the better, right? Hyannis is a beautiful place. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And basically, I went up there, I took a chance that I'd go up there and perform and I went up there and performed. So it ended up helping me out a lot. Yeah, so it's always wood bat league, pitcher kind of dominant league. I know a lot of the fields are set up to uh, kind of cater into, you know, helping the pitchers out a little bit. I believe Chatham is 358 down the left field line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we go up there, we're absolutely dialed in and, um, you know, walk me through that last couple of weeks and how it, how it all kind of went down. Yeah. So I went up to the Cape. Um, I had a couple pre-draft workouts before I went up to the Cape. Um, and then I think I left the Cape June 24th, June 20th or June 25th. And then I had a, another workout right after that on the way back home. And then I got home and basically it was just just hearing stuff from my agent. Um, he said before I went to the Cape that I was more of like a day two guy. And then the Cape worked me into like an early day two guy. And then, yeah. the draft so, so that turns into like, right, you're you're a senior, right? Yeah. And some of that that bargaining power isn't always there, but early day two guys, it starts to come back a little bit. You've performed well enough where you're going to get, you're going to get taken where you want it. Right. Um, I think that I was more so like a money saver. Like he said that <laughs> teams would push me up the board because I'm a senior, so I don't have that leverage. So they'd be willing to cut me a deal, but yeah, I mean, it worked out as well as I could have hoped. Like I'm super blessed to be where I'm at right now. Yeah, I mean, again, you're you're going up to a a pitching dominant wood bat league that's the the greatest place in the country. Um, we know Derek Bender pretty well from Coastal Carolina, who was up there and and born and produced really good offensive numbers this year. But you just don't see guys go up there and do as well usually with the arms that are run out there. Sixth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning. Some of that experience probably transitioning into pro ball. Give us a little bit about the crossover of how much of the Cape really kind of transitioned into those couple, those first couple weeks in pro ball. Yeah. I mean, the Cape 
obviously the competition was really good. Um, it's still, I think it still gets better as you, as you progress into pro ball, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, the pitching there is really good. So when I got here, it kind of just rolled right into it. Um, I mean, I think I took two weeks off between, oh wait, no, it was like a week and a half after the draft. So it was like three weeks since I'd been in the Cape. So it was kind of just like a, I was able to like mentally reset a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Cape definitely helped a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And so a little bit of that, uh, that post Cape time, did we get home, get to hang out with the family on actual draft day? Walk me a little bit through, through that day. What were we doing? Where were we at? How, uh, how did we prepare for that? Yeah. So on the draft day itself, um, day one, like we were convinced that I was a day two guy, so we didn't really have anything prepped for day one. Um, so I was like getting ready for bed when my agent called me. Um, he called me and was like, what are you doing right now? And I was like, I'm about to go to bed. <laughs> he was like, you're going to want to turn the TV on. You're about to get picked. And I was like, what? Come on, come on. <laughs> no one's coming over till tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that it basically happened super, super fast. Um, my mom was asleep. My dad was asleep watching a movie downstairs. So I had to wake them both up. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it all worked out for the best. So I'm really thankful for that. That's awesome. And again, to, uh, to be a Mariner in a day and age where there's so much kind of difference between the minor league teams, between how we treat everybody probably couldn't have asked to land in a better spot. Right. Yeah. It, it's been awesome. Like the coaches I had in Modesto, the coaches I've had at the complex league, they, they've been unreal. Um, definitely putting your development at the forefront. They want to see you succeed. I know I said it before, but they definitely want to see you succeed and we'll do anything to help you. And a lot of the, you know, the difference again in organization to organization, I think one of our guys who's with the Dodgers said it best, and I'm sure that you guys have something similar that they say here is no matter where you picked, when you arrive as a minor leaguer, it's not if you make it to the big leagues or if you get to Seattle, it's when you get to Seattle, they're going to expect this. When you get to Seattle, it's this. They pretty much expect all of you guys to complete the path or else they wouldn't have you there, correct? Right. The, I mean, I think the best way to put it is that the expectation is that you want to get better because, like, they'll lay out the groundwork for you to get better, and then they're basically there for – unless they, they see a glaring issue, like – they're there for you to take the initiative to go up to them and initiate. Like if you want to do mobility, you go up to the trainer and be like, Hey, I want to work on this mobility and they'll help you. Or you go up to a coach and you're like, Hey, I want to work on this today and they'll help you. It's not like the coaches are going to be like, Hey, I think we should work on this unless they see like a super glaring issue. So it's kind of like the expectation, like you said, is that they expect that you want to, that you're there because you want to be a big leaguer. So, I mean, they give us all the resources and it's up to us to kind of utilize those resources and take um, more initiative, I guess. Um, yeah. So the, the pro ball mentality is almost like, like you're here for a reason, right. And you're here yeah. for your own, your own track, right? Like you don't know if you're a guy who, is a future Seattle big leaguer. You don't know if you're the biggest piece of a double a trade in, in two years. Right. But the time that Ben Williamson spends with us, he has spent 
getting better, has a plan to get better, and we see him on track to being a big leaguer wherever he ends up. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that, yeah. So talking to, to Paulie a little bit about, you know, how you guys prepare at William and Mary, it sounds almost, you know, almost like some, some harmony where they are available as a coaching staff a lot. And it's up to you guys to, Hey, I need someone to feed the machine. Hey, I had a question about this, that the, the, what was going on. Right. McCray is always, you know, I, I faced him a lot when I played, he has always given me the, the mentality of like, Hey, Again, we lay out the tools. We have a groundwork here. If you want to get better and you show us that you want to get better, we are available to help you. So was that kind of a, uh, you know, a stepping stone to really run and raid into, into pro ball as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Joe and I, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Joe. Um, he was our center fielder last year, but him and I were in the cages literally every single day from like August to February, whatever, whenever our season started. I mean, we we're still in the cages like during the season, but we were there literally. We basically lived in the cages. Um, but yeah, they definitely had the resources to get better. And you just kind of have to take initiative for your own career when you're there. Um, but if you need anything, you can just ask one of the coaches and they're more than willing to help. I think that that's kind of like one of the bigger steps from college the pro ball is you need to take initiative for your career you need to know like what you want to do because sometimes in college like especially with classes and all it's like easy to get into the pattern of like oh I just had class like I don't know if I want to go hit early or like oh I have this test like it's kind of like finding excuses of not being able to get into the field like maybe not excuses but um it's definitely like you got to you got to prioritize like what you really want to do. Like you can't be going out every weekend. If you, if you want to play past college, if that makes sense. No, that's, that's huge, man. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the guys, um, you know, there are a lot of freshmen who listen in who are hitting campus right now and probably trying to find that balance of a brand new social life where they're very cool and very, you know, part of something that's bigger and better than themselves. And at the same time, trying to de- develop at the same time. Did you feel like as a freshman that, um, you know, obviously the fall was, was not COVID. Um, did yeah. we feel like we made it, did you make a smooth transition or did it take us a little bit to kind of get in there? Um, I think the transition was smooth. I think the only thing that was really like holding me back a little bit is I had like the freshman yips. Like I got in there and I was super nervous. I was I kind of was like, oh, my gosh, these guys are so much better than me rather than, like, I'm supposed to be here. Um, Like, I think that that kind of stems from, like, a lack of preparation. Like, over the years, like, I've definitely put a lot more effort into my preparation. Like, my preparation was never bad, but I kind of just scaled it up as the years have gone on until I developed, like, the routine I have now. Absolutely. And like, we didn't have an ice bath routine. We didn't have a mobility routine when we were senior in high school, kind of coming in as a freshman. Those are things that we pick up along the way. And like the game has changed, right? We're not drinking a 12 pack while we're doing our lift post game at the, the, the big league level. So these guys are getting 11, 13, 14 hours of sleep in preparation of bouncing back to be at a hundred percent tomorrow. I think that, you know, the way that you've approached it, since the get-go and obviously 
a guy who came in was competitive right from the get-go. You weren't, you know, Hey, you're definitely below the skill level. You're definitely going to red shirt. You were ready to go on the field. There was some preparation there. Like you said, it was never bad, but adding things to it tells us that you want to get better, that you're searching for more out of your game, that you want to take your game beyond the certain level. And to give anybody a piece of advice, who's kind of just starting off, like how do we really find that, that next level in ourselves? It's kind of just like, I would definitely say setting a goal and setting it as high as possible. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Go, go, go. You got out, it. I'm trying to figure out how to word. I'm trying to figure out how to word this without saying like anything that could get me in trouble. Um, there's, there's a lot of sacrifices that you have to make. Like you can't be going out drinking on the weekends. Like, I mean, obviously there's times where you can go out and have fun with your friends, but staying up until 12, like going out to the bars, like if you really want to do something with baseball or whatever sports you play, um, you kind of just have to sacrifice, be okay sacrificing, like maybe not like a social life, but like kind of like the party scene side of it. But like for me, I would rather than like going out drinking, I would stay and like chill with like a bunch of my friends, put on like a baseball game, a football game, and just basically do that so I could stay on my sleep routine and every base basically just not. I don't. I don't know. How to, no, that's good. The, the, the party yeah. scene is something to dodge, right? If, if that's right. if that's where we're going with it, we're gonna we're gonna stay in over go out every weekend. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically what I'm trying to say. Absolutely, man. And we know the other bad stuff to stay away from as well. We'll make sure that the uh, the guys kind of keep themselves clean. But um, I really appreciate your time, Ben. And I will I'll let you ride. Um, I'll grab your address from you so I can send you a nice Nike gear package. Um, okay. whether it's in Arizona or whenever you get back home, but, uh, thank you again. And I appreciate you holding down the fort with us today, man. Awesome. Thank you. Much love out there. Good luck. Thank you for listening to holding down the fort. This is Jimbo Fort reminding you to hold it down. Be on the lookout for our new merch. Anybody who has any questions for the show or for our guests on the show, please email us at holdendownthefortpod at gmail.com. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube for all the latest updates and to hold it with us. Thank you again. We look forward to having you back for the next episode.